Uh, thank you, brother. I appreciate the opportunity to be here again uh, with you this year. Um, big church is, is cool, but uh, true north and narrow, it's fantastic. You know, we can, we can throw it down in here, right? We can throw it down. So I, I picked a topic for you uh, this morning. It's blind spots, colon, getting off the struggle bus. Blind spots, colon, getting off the struggle bus. You want to get busy? Join me in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11, but let me give you a little bit of introduction uh, to this particular text that Peter wrote as he wrapped up his letter. And by way of an introduction, I want to remind you of a quote from Benjamin Franklin, which stated, there are three things that are incredibly hard. Steel, a diamond, and to know oneself. I think we all struggle, if we're candid and honest, we all struggle with a lack of self-awareness. But it is especially true of young people, the next generation. Let me give you some examples of where this might manifest itself. There was a survey done and they asked uh, people where do they find themselves on a scale of 1 to 10. 90% of the people said they were a 7. Actually, they're probably like a 4 or 5, if we're brutally honest, right? But most people will be generous uh, on the scale and they said they were a 7 when they're probably more like a 5, right? I grew up in Bangor, Maine, in the northeast uh, corner. I spent 17 years of my life, and then in high school, we transitioned to Florida. I went from a school of 400 to a school of 4,000. When I was at the school of 400, I was what they call small town handsome. So I looked awesome in 400. Then I went to 4,000. I couldn't buy a date. There was, I mean, this just was absolutely impossible, right? But I left there thinking, I'm going to show up in Florida. I'm going to take Florida by storm. And then I realized I was small town handsome, right? We all think we're smarter uh, than we actually are. As a matter of fact, the older I get, the smarter my parents become. Uh, my dad, like Einstein uh, right now, I, I look at all the things that he shared with me that I didn't appreciate at your age and now do appreciate at that current age. Athletics. Athletics. Let's talk a little bit about athletics. Listen to me. Most people think they're a better athlete than they are. I need to inform you. If you're 5'5", five five, you're probably not going to play in the NBA. I know it's aspirational. This may be a letdown to you. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to discourage you. But I just think we have an overestimation, as Paul said in Galatians, an overestimation of ourselves. Why? Because generally, all of us, myself included, Lack self-awareness. Uh, we, we just aren't honest with ourselves. And that produces these blind spots, right? And we need to, to bring those blind spots to the light. Don't keep them hidden, but to the light and kind of deal with them and grapple with them. Well, that's exactly what Peter's going to do for us this morning in First Peter chapter 5. The reason he writes this text is because people are deluding themselves into thinking more highly of themselves than they ought. And especially it's important for you as young people because youthfulness distorts objectivity. 
And then you get in this mess, you get all jammed up spiritually because you're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought and you produce these uh, blind spots. And so I want us to see in this text how to be mindful, how to be thoughtful. I want us to put aside sloppy thinking and kind of deal with an old term, an old uh, theological term called vigilance or the doctrine of watchfulness or alertness or sobriety. You can use any one of those synonyms to describe what we're talking about for the express purpose of helping you become more self-aware. This isn't an isolated passage or concept. It's found throughout scripture. Proverbs 4:23 says, "Watch your heart. Do it with diligence, for out of it flows the issues or the springs of life." So you're encouraged, Solomon said, "Hey, you better watch your heart. Guard your heart. Heart. Be vigilant with your heart." Okay? Then 1 Timothy 4:16, Paul says, "Watch your life." And your doctrine. First Timothy 4.16. Second Corinthians 11.3. Paul says. You better watch your affections. Because you can be drawn away. Satan's crafty. He's tricky. And he can draw you away from the, the simplicity and, and devotion to Jesus Christ. So you better, you better watch your, your affections. In First Corinthians 16.13. It states that you need to watch your leadership. Pay close attention to your leadership. And it, it talks to us there in 1 Corinthians 16 and what that looks like and, and, and how leadership should be true of young people and all people. And, and you need to be careful with how you, you lead. And then there's 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 11, which is an umbrella statement. Peter says, you better watch your step. You better watch your step. You better pay close attention to how you walk. Let's read the text. Are you there with me? First Peter 5, 5 to 11. Check it out. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He loves you. Here it is. Watchfulness, vigilance, alert. Be of sober spirit, young people. Be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Ah, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering have been accomplished by your brethren who are all over the world. Uh, and after you have suffered for a little while, underline that, after you suffered just a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. In our text today, Peter 
he kind of held a permanent seat on the struggle bus. If you any you know anything about the Apostle Peter throughout his life and ministry, even his interaction with Christ, he was always on the struggle bus. It's like he had a permanent seat and he just shifted around on the bus. But he reminds us here in this text, there are four primary areas that young people will struggle with. And the reason why I want to bring them to the light is so that you can deal with them and you can grapple with them and we can expose them and we're aware of them. I want to be, I want you to have self-awareness that these are the four primary areas that every teenager is going to struggle with. Now, his goal here is not to be Debbie Downer. He's not trying to discourage you. He's actually trying to stiffen your resolve. He's actually trying to, to strengthen you, to, to encourage you. And he's going to expo- expose the blind spots, be honest with the blind spots. And then he'll provide each of us with a gospel-centered solution and awareness. So this text is a huge dose of self-awareness as young people. I wish someone would have deposited 1 Peter 5... 5 to 11 in my heart and in my life at your age. It would have been a game changer. This text is a game changer for all of us. So by God's grace, let's look at these four areas and let's collectively, all of us, including myself, let's agree that in this room this morning, as we throw it down, we're going to bring these four areas under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We're going to take dominion in these four areas in our lives. And let's be transformed by Peter's word. Now, I know we're parachuting into First Peter. You've probably not been studying First Peter for a bit of time. So let me just give you a couple clues, a couple helpful hints about Peter so that it kind of takes it from black and white to HD and it gets a little more vivid and you'll appreciate this passage a little more. First, you have to know that who Peter is writing to, they are, they are a people of pain. They are suffering under a, a mountain of, of persecution. And it's dark and it's hard and it's like they're pushing a boulder up a mountain by themselves and it is extremely difficult. And Peter's writing into that space. He's writing to them while they're suffering. Second piece of information. If you noticed... He stated there, you younger men, you younger men. It's written for young people. Anytime I get to preach to either True North or the Narrow, I, I, I want to speak about texts that are meaningful to you. This text is for you. Now it says younger men. Why? Just take the word younger. Why is this so important? Well, I believe because you are the choice target of the devil. If he can disrupt your life and he can destroy your life early, then he's got you for many, many seasons and it's extremely disruptive. J.C. Ryle, the old Puritan, said this, the devil gives special diligence to wrecking havoc in young people's lives. Another reason is because we lack self-awareness, right? We all agreed to that. We, we lack some self-awareness. We, we think we're 5'5 five, five and we're going to go NBA. Uh, you have a batting average of, you know, negative 50 and you think you're going to play in the major leagues. You just, it's just, I just need to be honest with you. You know, if you're 110 pounds in high school, you're not going to play NFL. You will be crushed like a bug. 
Okay? You just need to come to grips with that, right? So this is why we lack self-awareness. We also procrastinate our sanctification. We think, okay, I'm going to get serious with God right after high school. Maybe when I go off to college or, or may, I'm just going to wait a little bit. That's a temptation of all young people. And, and another one is that we will easily exchange temporary pleasure for eternal pleasures. And we just are in that space. That's, that's our world as, as teenagers. That's what you feel. And so I think Peter writes to you specifically because he wants to fortify you. He wants to stiffen your resolve. He doesn't want you to throw in the towel. He doesn't want you to quit. Just like these people are suffering under persecution and pain, in our own way, we suffer and we struggle. And so he says, you younger men, but I want you to see that nobody's off the hook here. It's not just to the guys. Look on further in verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and what? All of you. Notice that? Panta. All of you. All of us. Nobody's exempt. Young ladies, young men, older men, older women. This text is applicable to all of us. He just targets it first at the at the younger men, and for our sake this morning, we're just going to say young people. This passage is written to young people. Now, what's interesting about, final piece of context here, what's interesting is as he writes and he concludes his letter, he's writing to different groups of people. It's as if he's saying, you know, I need to really deposit some truth into each of the major groups in the church. So he deals with the first group. If you notice there in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 4, he's talking to the elders. He, he, he tells the elders, I exhort the elders among you. And he tells them how to elder. He tells them how to lead his elders. He says, this is what an elder looks like in the local church. This is what you should expect of elders. And it's, it's really helpful. And the reason why he does that and he addresses that specific group is tough times call for strong leaders. And if the leaders are weak and the people are suffering, it's going to be a mess, a real big mess. So he says, listen, here's what the elders need to be thinking about. And then he says, here's what the young people need to be thinking about. And then he says, all people need to be thinking about. So these four areas, to be brutally honest, I think we all struggle with. And we need to get off the struggle bus. We need to bring them to the light, expose them, unpack them, bring clarity to them, and then bring gospel application to them so that we can deal with these particular areas. So there are four area, areas that the next generation needs to grapple with in order to stay off the struggle bus. Here are the four areas. Write them down. Authority. Four areas. Authority. Humility. Anxiety. And sobriety. Authority. Humility. Anxiety. Sobriety. Write them in the margin, in the column of your Bible. Write them down on a piece of paper. We're going to look at all four areas. And hopefully, we'll get you off the struggle bus this morning. And get you focused. First area I want to call attention to is this. All people but especially young people, struggle with authority. Look at verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. So it's linking verse 5 and verse 4. Verse 4 concludes about the elders and how he says this is what eldering looks like. 
looks like. And then he says, hey, young people, you need to learn to submit to the elders. You need to learn to appreciate authority. The likewise there is in the same way. As the elders have to follow the chief shepherd, you as young people need to follow the elders. You need mentors. You need guides. You need spiritual leaders to, to speak into your life. So if you get off the path and you're walking in darkness, it brings you back to the light. And so you are to follow the elders. You are to submit to authority. Not just when you agree with them, but even when you disagree with them. Listen to me. I'm raising a teenager, 16 years old. The flesh fights against submission. As young people, I was there. You're tempted to throw off authority, right? You're tempted to throw off all kinds of authority. There's judicial authority. There's civil authority. There are teachers in school, their authority. Your parents' authority. Your youth group leader's authority. Your small group leader's authority. I'm just telling you that we all struggle with authority structures. But I'm here to remind you that you will live the whole of your life under authority. You'll always be at some level and in some way under authority. And good gospel teenagers grapple with that. And they learn to understand and to appreciate and to know how to submit to authority. I know it's part of youthfulness to think that you're right. My son thinks he's always right. In actuality, he's slow to hear and he's real quick to speak, which drives me bonkers, right? And I said it when I began, the older I get, the smarter my parents become. Like when you hit my age, you'll be thinking, man, they were brilliant in all those things. I know you're thinking they're so antiquated, they're so out of touch, they don't have a clue with what we're dealing with as, as, a, as a generation, but I'm telling you, they are laser focused. Learn to submit to authority. Make the elders here at Compass Church, make their job easy. You don't have to, as a young person, have an edge about you. You don't have to challenge every decision. You don't have to play the devil's advocate. You don't have to be headstrong and stuck and all jammed up. You need to learn and appreciate those who are in authority, who lead you well, who care for your soul, right? You need to make that relationship run smoothly. And your submission is like oil to the intersecting gears in the local church or in the home or in the school. You're like oil and you make them, you keep them from grinding by saying, I'm going to submit to authority. I've just got to get used to authority. God's established authority in my life and I'm not going to resist authority in my life. And so especially when you have the authorities here who are persecuting the church, Peter's writing to say, hey, listen, you submit to authority. As, as a persecuted people, people in pain, it doesn't, it doesn't exempt you from submission. You, you have to submit to all kinds of authority. You have to trust your mentors. You have to trust your sages. You should love the next, the, the, the generation that's gone on before you. As an older person, I look back and I'm con deeply concerned about you, the next generation. But you should be looking up and forward saying, who are the mentors? Who, who's already run the rapids? Who's way out in front of me? And, and I want to attach my life to them, them and learn. Hebrews talks about this. 
Hebrews 13, 17 states that we're to obey our leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over our souls as those who will give an account. Listen to this. Let them do it with joy and not with grief. For this is massively unprofitable for you. So if you make it hard on your student workers and on your student pastor and on your parents, um, not only are they going to be discouraged, but it's massively unprofitable for you. You will gain no advantage. But learning to submit to authority, you will gain incredible advantage. Please, please don't be the guy or the girl that when people see coming, they run. They avoid. You're nitpicking your way through your high school years. You just need to chill out and relax. Some of you are, are wound up like eight-day clocks. I mean, it's just crazy. And you're just too, too worried about the most basic things in life. Chill out. Relax. That's just what Peter's trying to say. Listen, submit to authority. They're out in front of you. They've got this thing. They're, they're in control. And submit to all kinds of authority. Parents, police, politics. And when we have texts like Romans 13, civil authorities, etc. We are to submit to authority. We are to learn to submit to authority. This is one of the areas Peter says young people, young men will struggle. And that's why he begins, you younger men, likewise... Be subject to your elders and all of you. So not just you. My generation too has to learn to submit to authority. Second area we all struggle with. Young people, all of us in the room, struggle with humility. Struggle with humility. Look at verse 5. B, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but man, oh man, does he give grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at its proper time. Listen, you'll never learn to submit to authority unless you grapple with humility. You really, humility is it's what precedes authority. You, you have to wrestle with your humility. Pride the opposite of humility is the oldest sin of the world. Pride stalks hell with millions upon millions of inhabitants. Gospel teenagers are to be clothed with humility. I don't care what you look like, what you dress like today when you come to church. It doesn't matter to me at all. There's only one garment that I'm concerned you're wearing. And that is that you're clothed with humility. And young people, all people, including myself, I'm 53 years into this, trust me, it's a lifelong project to learn to die to yourself, to learn to be humble, right? To put on humility. But Peter uses an interesting word when he tells the people there, he says, I want you to clothe yourself with humility. There is no question in my mind, I know what he's talking about. Do you remember in John 13, if you've read the Gospels, which are miniature biographies of Jesus' life, right? In John 13, the night before Jesus died, so he dies on a Friday night, Friday afternoon at 3, the night before, 
he, he sits down with his closest disciples and he has a meal. He breaks bread with them. Prior to doing that, the text says he ties on an apron and he stoops down and he washes the disciples' feet. Well, you remember Peter got, in, got locked up with Jesus and said, you're not going to... This is, this is not for a rabbi to put on a garment and wash feet. Uh, servants wash feet. Rabbis don't wash feet. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, hey pal, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of the kingdom. You have no part of my kingdom, right? And so Peter says, okay, then wash me from head to toe. I mean, he gets it. It dawns on him. He, well, this word to tie up is the same word that Jesus described what Jesus did when he tied up that apron. I think that's exactly what Peter's talking about. You need to tie on the apron of humility as young people. Jesus shocked Peter that, that day. And we should be shocked today. Because humility is to be prized. Humility is that one virtue that you must own, that you must clothe yourself with. It, it, it becomes the Christian symbol of leadership. The Christian symbol of leadership is Jesus tying on an apron and washing the disciples' feet over and over again. He says, if you want to be great, what do you got to do? You got to be least. You got to make yourself low, right? So the way up in leadership is actually down. It's a contrarian view. You will never, listen to me students, look up. You will never outgrow your need for humility. I love what John the Baptist said when Jesus shows up on the shores of Galilee. He says, I must decrease and he must increase. Gospel-centered teenagers grapple with that every day. I must decrease, he must increase. I don't have to be famous. Jesus is famous. I must pursue humility. God's teenagers are humble teenagers. It's learning to decrease. It's learning to become small. It's learning not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, right? It's a part of this, this whole self-awareness package. You have to come to grips, young people, with your humility. Why? It's in the text. Take a look. Why should you do this? Why should you listen to this exhortation? Why should you listen to me and say, I'm going I'm to fight for learning to submit to authority. I'm going to fight for my humility. Why? Look at the text. For, here's the reason why. For or because God is opposed to proud teenagers. Boom. God opposes you. He actively opposes you, right? So God opposes the proud. God will literally stand in your way. He actively opposes you. Why? Because pride is you and I trying to take a stab at deity. We think we're smarter. We think we're better. We think we're a seven when we're a five or a four, right? See, that's what pride does. I have learned over the years, pride makes me stupid. I do the stupidest things when I'm full of myself. And you do too, right? But you're going to run into the opposition of God, and it's a solid wall. And you're not going to pass. And so you can dig in and be full of yourself as a young person, and I'm telling you, you're going to run into the wall of God. He says, I actively oppose the proud. I'm against you. And I'm going to slow you down. I'm going to stop you. So 
it's incumbent upon us on the struggle bus to learn to swallow our pride, right? This is a daily activity. Your whole life, you're going to learn to swallow your pride. You're going to have to humble yourself. It is a distinct distinct Christian virtue that you have to prize and you have to own. Why? Because God will oppose you if you don't. There was a second reason, though. Because he's able to promote you. Look at it. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. There it is again. Same word, verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you at the proper time. Promotion is from the Lord, the Proverbs state. At the right time, at the perfect time, God will promote you. He'll take care of you. The same hand that disciplines us and opposes us, if we're humble, promotes us. Right? He says, under the mighty hand of God. That's an Old Testament reference. When you see the hand of God, it's either used in two different ways. One, it's used as a reference to discipline. The hand of God disciplines you. You know, God knows how to get a hold of you and, and jerk a knot in you. Right? He disciplines you. But he also delivers you. That same hand can deliver you out of the hands of the enemy and, and deliver you from some pretty precarious situations. So that same hand that brings pain can also bring promotion. I want to remind you that God knows your address. He knows who you are. Down to the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you in this room. He knows everything you're struggling. He knows every thought that you have. Every thought when they're afar or when they're close, when they're near, inside thoughts, outside thoughts, inside words, outside words, every element, every aspect, every piece of your life, he knows. And at the right time, it's going to be your day. At the right time, he's going to promote you. And you may be saying, because that's what they're saying, these present circumstances I'm in are horrible. It stinks at my home, or it stinks here at school, or whatever it is. Your present circumstances may be crazy, like the people here he's writing to. But at the right time, God will show up, and he will vindicate, he will care, he will provide for you. And I think as young people, why this is such a temptation... And, and we struggle with this with humility, and, and we want to do self-promotion, and, and we get all jammed up with this. It, it's just, it's huge and complex. And I think a lot of young people, they want too big of a platform too soon. Do you know I told myself, I won't write a book until I'm 50 years old. I didn't tell anybody else about that. I just said, I'm not going to say anything publicly until I'm 50. And I was preaching the whole time. But I didn't write Live Smart until then because I said, you know what? I need to grow up. I need to mature. I need to hit a certain level. But in your generation, the temptation is bigger platform. And sometimes your platform will outstrip your character. And I promise you, that'll bring pride, not humility. Be careful is all I'm saying. Be careful. Because the same God that can, can, can uh, bring the pain can also bring the promotion. He knows what you need. He knows the right time for you. It's perfect timing. And so... Peter's basically saying to these people, and he's saying to every young person here, relax. You've got, a lot of, you've got like 80 years left on the planet. I should be in a panic. You should not be in a panic. I, I, you know, I'm half a century old. You know, I'm on the downside of the mountain. I'm like running downhill. Listen to me. You don't have to do that. 
Relax. Now, I'm not taking urgency out of the gospel or urgency out of your leadership. I'm just saying, watch the promotion piece. We live in the West in a celebrity culture. We prize that. We have to fight against that. And you'll find yourself on the struggle bus and full of yourself, God actively, actively opposing you, and he will not promote you, no matter how hard you work, no matter how, how much you do on social media, whatever it is, just be careful. That's all he's saying. Peter's saying, be careful, relax. He says, at the proper time. God's sovereign, appointed time. It's perfect timing. My timing stinks. Your timing stinks. God's timing, man, it's perfect. It's right on the spot. He knows our limits. He knows our needs. He knows the clock. And so what he says to those people is, clothe yourself in humility. Work hard at your character. Work hard at being humble. Don't work hard at promoting yourself and thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. So first area, authority. Second area we struggle with, humility. Third area, anxiety. Young people, all people, struggle with anxiety. Listen, you know the context. I mentioned it. There, there are people being persecuted. Persecution's raining down on them. <clears throat> it, isn't a, it isn't a light rain. It's torrential. It's hard. It's tough. And so he writes and he says, listen, you're struggling with anxiety. They were worrying. <clears throat> they were starting to panic. They were thinking about throwing in the towel. Now, it's only natural to worry when you're in pain and in persecution. But I'll tell you what's supernatural what you see here in verse 7, whereby the peace of God settles into your soul because you know God and you have a relationship with God and you know him, there's intimacy there and you can do verse 7. Look what he says. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. You don't have to falter. You don't have to live in panic. You don't have to be fragile and, and weak. You can learn to cast all of your cares. And let me remind you, you have cares. You have burdens. We all have burdens. I have burdens. You have burdens. We all have burdens. As a matter of fact, there's a, typically a persona that happens in high school. And you look around the room and you see people think, she doesn't have any burdens. She's like burden free. How is that fair? Let me tell you something. We're all jacked up. She's just pretty jacked up. But she's jacked up. I'm just telling you, we are, we're all full of burdens. Welcome to the club. This is what Peter's saying. Like, you, you have burdens. You must cast them. Either you take them on yourself and you grapple with them yourself and you try, to, you try to do it in your own strength or you turn into Jesus and he says, you cast your, your burdens on me. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. He says cast. I love it. It's a violent word. It means to heave. <clears throat> to throw, to chuck. It's decisive. It's an energetic act where you pick up everything you got and you throw them at Jesus' feet. He says all, the whole enchilada. You trust God with all of your life, not just the good days, the bad days, the dark days, top of the mountain, bottom of the valley, all of it. You trust the Lord. Why? Matthew 6, 25. Don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus said. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Why? Why can you do that? Why can you thrust and care and throw all of your anxiety upon him? 
Because it says it in the text. Look at it. Because he cares for you. I can come alongside of you and pray. Your small group can come, leader can come alongside you and pray. But he and he alone can do something about it. <laughs> so I can pray on your behalf. Jesus can step in and fix it. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. And you have direct access to him. And you know him. And he knows you. I mean, this is a sweet deal. He can do something about it. No weight too heavy. No task too hard. He's not only able, he's willing. Right there in the text, exhortation, verb, cast. Get on with it. Get rid of your burdens. And I love it because God himself is in the emphatic position. God himself can do something about it. I can't do anything about it. I can pray for you. I can come alongside. I give you a few bucks to get you through some, some, some lunch money and a new uniform or something. But God can step in like none other. Gospel teenagers on a regular basis cast their anxiety on Jesus. As young people, trust me, you will struggle with anxiety. Why? Because we all have burdens. Now you can look cool and calm on the outside, right? But on the inside, we all know because all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. We know you're messed up. So you may look cool on the outside, but I'm telling you, everybody, I mean, I've done it myself. I looked at someone and think, why in the world do they have a Tesla? I should have a Tesla. I care about the planet more than they do. No Tesla. Yeah, I got a ministry car. I mean, you know, that's just part of the deal. Cast all your cares upon him. For he cares for you. As young people, as older people, we struggle with anxiety. You want to get off the struggle bus? Cast your care upon him because he cares for you. Number four. And we're there. Four. Sobriety. Young men, young women, all men, all women struggle with sobriety. What am I talking about? Watchfulness. Alertness. The sin that Peter's trying to compensate for is sloppy thinking and sloppy living. Meaning you're not on your A game. You're not alert. You're not paying attention to your environment. You're not looking around. You're not cognitive. You're just going through life. You're going through the motions with no intentionality. Verse 8 states that watchfulness should be prized. We've seen it all through scripture. Watch your heart. Watch your life. Watch your doctrine. Watch your leadership. Watch your affections. Here it's Watch your step. Satan would love to dislodge you from the terrain of God. He would love to get you off track. He'd love to get you off the trail of trusting God and putting the attention and trust into yourself so that he can distort and destroy your life. The sin that young people struggle with, from my observation, is the sin of sloppiness. And I'm only examining my own life and saying, man, I was just so sloppy as a teenager. It was just ridiculous. And so I think what Peter is trying to do here is saying, listen, let's compensate from sloppy thinking and sloppy living. Look at the words there. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. He says, be sober. It means to wake up. It's to have some discernment. It's the ability in life to know the difference between truth and error. 
or what's true and what's false. It's discernment. You're able to look at it, assess it, be thoughtful as a young person and go, you know what, that's going to destroy my life. I'm going to avoid that and I'm going to pursue this. It's that thoughtfulness, that sobriety. It's when you're just kind of going with the wind is when you're in trouble. Danger, danger, stranger danger. Isn't that what, yeah, whatever it is. Just be careful out there, right? It's be sober. Second, he says, be watchful, be alert, be on the alert, be on full alert, pay attention, diligence. I love what Solomon said in Proverbs 4.25. He says, guard your heart with diligence, he says, with all diligence. You got to be on your A games. You can't, your A game, you can't be lethargic spiritually. You can't have the sin of laziness. You've got to focus. And that's what I'm concerned about. As teenagers, sometimes some of you are procrastinating your sanctification. And you're not dialed in. You're not paying attention. You're not living the intentional Christian life. And you're just a little bit sloppy and you need to tighten it down. And you're going to be on the struggle bus until you get your act together. And this is what Peter's saying. When you're in pain and when you're in these years of your life, especially, he says to young men, you will struggle would be an alert. It's the it's a sentinel or military term to, to stand at guard, to be on the ready, that nothing gets by you. That you're watching, you're careful, you're careful where you step, you're careful where you walk, you're careful who you choose to hang out with, you're careful about every single thing in your life. And here's the deal: look up. Either you attack life or life will attack you. That is the bottom line for young people. Either you're gonna be on the offense or you're gonna play defense your whole life. Either you kill sin, or sin will kill you. That's the bottom line. Young people, old people, we all struggle with alertness, right? Lethargy. Why is this so important? Here it is. A couple years ago, I talked about that lion, remember? Some of you there? Yeah. Here he is again. Check it out. I can't keep away from him. Verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, not your pal, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Whoa. Why do you remain alert? Why? Because you have an adversary. He's a formidable enemy. Ephesians 2.1 says that he is the prince in the power of the air. He's cunning, he's crafty, he's diabolical. Most of all, he hates you. He hates your precious life, and the more intentionally you get, the more trials he was willing to bring to dislodge you from your faith. He too has a plan for your life, like God. He too can open doors. I've heard over the years, young people especially say, you know, the Lord's just opened the doors with old Billy. I'm thinking, oh, devil can open a door as well as God. How do you know that's God opening that door? Discernment, being alert, paying attention, being sober in how you think, right? Sobriety. He says your adversary, and then he says the diablos, the devil. It means to cast through. He's the slanderer. He's the accuser of the brethren. Let me just give you a little bit of a devilology to serve you as young people. Two things you need to know about the devil. You don't need to underestimate him. He's taken down some big boys that have gone on before you. 
So you're not as self-awareness, you're, you're not as good as you think you are. He's taken down a ton um, through history, and um, he's been doing it for the ages, and, and uh, don't think you can stand on your own against him. So don't, don't underestimate him. Secondly, don't overestimate him. He still has to submit to God. You're a child of God. Nothing happens to you that does not go through the hand of God ever. All right? Don't underestimate him. Don't overestimate him. He's subject to God. He's subject to Christ. And here's the good news. Look at the verse. He's resistible. He is resistible. Verse 9. Resist him. So Peter says, listen, you've got an enemy. Here's what you need to remember. Even from a couple years ago. As young people, you are being hunted. All the time. You're always being hunted. Youth, your youth group leaders, they're being hunted. Your youth pastor back there, your student minister, he's being hunted. Pastor Mike, he's being hunted. Every single day of your life, once you've declared your allegiance to Jesus Christ, you are prize prey. He would love to devour you. He would love to distract you. He would love to destroy you. Why? Because he's the king of the beast. And he's looking for a weakness in your life on the struggle bus whereby he can wreak havoc in your life. And so you don't, you don't live in fear of him. You don't overestimate him. But you don't underestimate him either. It's a little bit like electricity. You know? Any electrician knows. They work with electricity, but they have a healthy respect for voltage because it could light them up and give them a permanent perm and they don't want that right you are his prey he gives special diligence to destroy your life if you're aware of that you'll be far better off and let me remind you that he doesn't always come with a roar sometimes it's a smile it's not always going to roar he's not coming with horns it's a character. He could come as a smile. Fellas, he could come as a smile. The text states he's a, he comes as an angel of light. Beautiful at times. Looks like the door's wide open. Looks like this is the person for you. He loves to use, just so you'll know, and that's why it's in Peter here, he loves to use personal suffering to dislodge you from faith. And he tries to dislodge you from the promises of God. If God so loves you, why are you suffering? That's what he deposits in your theological thinking. He tries to frighten us into apostasy and to abandon the faith. So now you can see, when you read uh, verse 9, you can see why Peter is so alarmed. You can see why he's so intense. And you can hopefully sense the pressure of this passage on your soul as a young person. Like It's like you're in a car and you're about to drive off a cliff. He's alerting us that we're being hunted and we need to think about being alert. We need to have sobriety in our lives. So what's the plan, Uncle Dan? Give us a plan can't say we're being hunted and we don't know how to get away we don't know how to deal with it oh no it's right there check it out look at verse 9 it's awesome here's the plan look at it but resist him right firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world 
So you resist him by devotion and memory. By devotion and memory. First, let's talk about resisting him. It means to stand your ground. He is resistible because you have Christ. He's formidable, but he's resistible. You don't give him an inch. You don't crack open the door. That's why you don't play with sin. You don't say, in your minds as teenagers, don't say, how close can I get to sin and not sin? You say, how far should I be away from that particular sin that I not be drawn in, right? Notice that Peter does not give any tactics. No prayer walking. No garlic. No binding. No special formula. He just says, resist him. It's in multiple places. It's in James 4. Resist him. Resist him how? That's the key. In the faith. In the faith. That's how you do it. You're to resist him in the faith. You're to submit to God and resist the devil by devotion, by sound doctrine, by knowing your Bible. When Jesus was tempted and he was whisked away into the wilderness and he was tempted, three big temptations he experienced after going 40 days without food, three big temptations, he gets hit with all three. What does he say to combat Satan? It is written. Gets tempted again. It is written. Tempted again. It is written. That's how this works. You are to resist him in your faith. That's why you're intentional about your devotional life. That's why you get up and read your Bible. That's why you sit under sermons and, and you go to big church and you take notes and you, you study your Bible on your own and you do all of these spiritual disciplines. The collective whole of all of that will give you resistance. You'll smell the devil coming a mile away. Right? He smells like lion. Funky lion. You'll smell funky lion, and I'm making this up, so I'm going to stop right here because this get real weird, a mile away. This is where you get yourself in trouble preaching. You kind of get way out there on the edge. You've got to bring it back in. Resist him in the faith. Why? Here's the deal. Sound doctrine, devotion, sobers us up from the intoxicating effects of temporary pleasure, foolish choices, naive thinking, ridiculous pride, spiritual leth lethargy, and the list goes on and on. One of the many reasons why I read my Bible every day is because I don't want to be stupid. I want to I be able to resist the devil. I want to be able to resist the temptation. The temptation's not going to stop. You're going to be tempted your whole life, right? You've you got to be able to know how to combat that. So there's resistance, there's devotion, and then there's this thing called memory. Being a little bit historical, look what he says. The same experiences of suffering, of being accomplished by your brethren who were in the world, and after you suffered for a little while. Here's the deal, folks. You're just here for a little while. You're in the stream of history, the stream of church history. You're just here for these many years, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. I know it seems like a lot of years, but it goes by pretty quick. And you will suffer and people will die around you. We live in a Genesis 3 world. It's broken. It's imperfect, right? Our theology teaches us that. But listen, you're just going to suffer a little while. Eternity awaits you. That's why you need to lock down your personal relationship with Christ now so that if something happens, you will be in eternity forever 
in glory. But right now, just a little while. And you've got to say that to yourselves all the time. You've got to get up some days and, and some years, like 2018, I wish it never happened. It was such a horrible year for me, for my life. My mom dies. Every, everything just fell apart in 2018. 2019's sweet right now. It's good. We're back, okay? But, but I constantly had to educate my soul and remind that this is just temporary. This is a part of life. This is part of what it means to be human and part of what it's like to live on the planet as a teenager. Things are going to happen. Zits are going to come. I mean, this is just a part of the deal, okay? It's broken. You're broken. I'm broken. That's what Peter's trying to say. Because why? They're suffering. They're questioning themselves. They're questioning whether the faith is real. And subconsciously, they're questioning, does God really care for me? And Peter says, let me fortify you. Let me stiffen your resolve. Let me strengthen you in the word and remind you, this is just momentary light affliction. That's what he's saying. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. When you get T-boned in life and you get hit, you shouldn't go, oh, I can't believe that happened to me. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen again and again and again and again and again and again. I know it's tough. I know it's dark. Bring it to the light. It's just for a little while. It's just for a little while. This has been going on for ages. You're not alone. Everybody in the room is messed up. We all struggle. We all have burdens. We all have dark places. And it's hard. But Christ is the light. He brings the grace. And I love how he ends. Look at the ending and we'll end. Look at it. After you've suffered for just a little while, students, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, and then he just piles up the verbs, He will, this is his promise to you, he will perfect you, he will confirm, he will strengthen, he will establish you. And then you have this doxology. Why? It's like everybody just stood up in in Peter's congregation. It's doxological. It's theology that turns into doxology. And look what he says. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Young people, look up. I want you to get off the struggle bus. And in order to do that, you have to have self-awareness. And there are four primary areas the text of Scripture says that as young people, young men, young women struggle with. Authority, humility, anxiety, sobriety. They don't go away. When you get older, you still struggle with authority, humility, anxiety, and sobriety. It's just the reason why this matters here and why it's deposited into you is because it's pronounced now. You're young. And it's pronounced. And you've got a whole life ahead of you. He's just trying to save you from massive, massive errors in your life. Instead, let's be gospel-centered teenagers here at True North and the Narrow. Right? And let's be intentional in how we live. Let me ask Christ to help us. Pray with me.